Coming to you from Silicon Valley, I'm Marcus Edwards, and I'm on the hunt for recruiting leaders, producers, innovators, and pioneers who've made their mark on the industry and can't wait to share their points of view. We'll tackle the tough topics and dig deep to find the answers you're looking for and some actionable advice you can take to the bank. So stick around and stay tuned, and welcome to Recruiting Trailblazers. So I'm very excited to welcome my guest today to Recruiting Trailblazers. Anne-Marie Vionis is the founder and the president of The West Source, an executive search firm that supports staffing agencies across the country, primarily in the IT and professional services space. She launched The West Source in March of 2020, having spent 10 years as a founder and managing partner at Satori Source in a similar capacity. So welcome to the podcast, Anne-Marie. How are you? I'm good, Marcus. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to have you on the podcast. Yes, and you. although we haven't done a particularly good job of keeping in touch, um, we've known each other for about 10 years, haven't we? That's right. That's right. Yeah. But yeah, you're hard so to forget. It's great to get... Yeah. <laughs> I'm hard to forget. You're definitely hard to forget. <laughs> um, and it's great that we're back in touch. Uh, I'm, I'm enjoying our conversations. So let me get this right, because I've done a fair bit of rec to rec myself. You help people who help people get jobs, get jobs at companies who help people get jobs. Am I right? Yeah, that sounds about right. Yes. No, <laughs> it's, it's an interesting concept. I think um, it's, it's one that a lot of people don't understand. And um, it becomes the topic of conversation um, during candidate interviews. What, why really? am I talking to you? What do you have to do with this company? And who, how do you, uh, what is your relationship? Yeah. I mean, there's a certain amount of irony in recruiters placing recruiters, isn't there? I suppose so. I suppose so. I didn't, uh, well, I thought so. Sure. I didn't even realize it existed uh, prior to me, um, you know, being on this side of the business. Yeah. Because you started off at, um, at Tech Systems, didn't you? I did. I did. I spent several years with Tech Systems and then moved on to um, another line of business with Aerotech. Yeah. Yeah, obviously one of the big companies and, and a great way to start your, your career in recruiting. You know, as much as I sort of rail against companies that use metrics in a threatening way on the podcast, I also recognize that growing up in a metrics driven environment is actually very good for the discipline of recruiting, isn't it? I agree. I agree. I think it was um, probably the best experience that I could have obtained in staffing. Um, it really kind of paved the, the path for me. Um Yes, very metrics driven, and I think it's hard driving, but um, there's a lot of discipline that goes along with that and learning the business and also learning what works and what does not. You know, I, I, I've seen, you know, people come and go recruiting and sales um, throughout that um, agency time. And it, um, I think it's definitely helped with the business that I have now. So you, you understand the sort of inherent turnover that happens in this industry and, I've heard some crazy statistics about people when they first join and the percentage of people who leave, it's like 70 or 80% of people who leave this business in their very first year. Right. But you're growing a successful company now. I think you're up to about seven or eight people, aren't you? Yes. Yep. That's yeah. Great. Have you built a culture that you're proud of? I have. I have. Um, you know, I think we take a lot of the things that we learn from um, other companies that we have come from. And those companies, like a tech systems, they breed other successful companies. And it's because we can take a simple model and um, parlay that into what works best for us, but really sticking with the foundation 
um, again, a simple model that works and um, how we treat people, how we train people um, and, and kind of what our expectations are. Yeah. Indeed. And I think how you treat people is, is the most important thing of all when you're building a culture. Um, but hey, let's start off with a couple of funny stories, because in the pre-interview, you told me that you were even thinking about writing a book about some of the crazy stuff that's happened to you in the recruiting business. What's the craziest thing that's happened to you so far in 2022? Um, gosh, I've, um, yes, definitely crazy stories over these, uh, these last years. I think the craziest um, things that have happened this year is almost an epidemic of um, people feeling that they can drink an interview. Um, no way. Yes. A hundred percent. This is, I've, I've never seen anything like this. I think this year I experienced it more than ever before. And I don't know that I'd ever experienced it before, but have um, interviewed folks what? that I thought, Hmm, something's a little off, you know, and then asked them to interview with my clients same thing happened. Um, my clients would call and say, I just, I, I simply think this person was drunk on the phone. No way. Are you seeing people on your Zoom calls with like a beer next to them or a glass of wine or what? Uh, no, no. Because I, I usually, I have a phone call, so I don't always Zoom with my candidates. Um, sometimes the first Zoom call that they have will actually be with the client, but I've maybe had one or two conversations with them. Um, and sometimes I can sense when maybe something's a little awkward. Um would never present that candidate. But this year alone, um, one funny story is um, I had a candidate who was a great candidate, great background, and was interviewing with an SVP um, for my client. And the SVP gets off the phone and said, the guy was great. Fantastic. We had such a great conversation going. But I could tell every once in a while he would put his hand up to his mouth and and then kind of look away and oh well that's strange and then what he realized was he could see then that he was vaping and on a zoom call you know this is your first this is your the time to make a great impression on a zoom call and you can't look away from your vape for 30 minutes and by the end of the phone call um, he said he could tell it was going a little topsy-turvy and he said hey listen so what do you um you know, you moved away from New Jersey. Um, what was it that, you know, prompted that? He said, well, I was, um, you know, it's cold up there. I wanted to get to warmer weather and I, I didn't want to snuggle show anymore. <laughs> and he said, you didn't want to what? I didn't want to snuggle show. And that's when he realized, okay, you know, I, I think it, it, you're under the <laughs> influence of something. I'm going to cut this short, but it was too bad because he was actually a great candidate. But um, yeah. yeah, he was. Having- I have to admit, though, I, I have to admit, I don't particularly like snuggling show either. Yes, so that's like <laughs> a big joke with us in the office. Is oh, well, yeah. it's really snuggling show. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, that's funny. And then you had a candidate who got onto a plane to go to uh, California somewhere for an in-person interview, for an in-person and then never showed up. <laughs> Fantastic. It was an executive level role. And he got on that plane, apparently, um, from what we could see, and never showed up, never got to the office. So my hiring manager gives me a call and says, hey, it looks like they landed. Um, not here. It's been an hour, two hours. So I did um, a little research. We couldn't get in touch with him. I did a little research, found his wife online and her business and called her and said, 
hey, I just want to let you know that um, your husband got on a plane this morning and he has not showed up for the interview. Um, I guess at that point it was a free trip to California. We, I've never heard from him since. She, she no. chalked it up to he definitely got on that flight. Um, I think he hit his head in the shower um, in the morning, but I don't Goodness know. Goodness me. <laughs> and um, yeah, so I, I think I had to reimburse the client for that ticket. Never heard yeah, from him again. Sure. Though. That's so funny. Ghosted. Early bit of ghosting there. Um, <laughs> so you started the business off, your current business, the West Source, during or just at the very beginning of the pandemic, didn't you? I did. And so, I mean, literally what, like a month or two before the pandemic truly hit and we got lockdown happened? Yep. It was right about that time. Um, I had made the decision, uh, my partner and I had made the decision um, December 2019, I guess it was, that we were going to go just separate ways and do our own thing. Um, my plan was to launch a very similar business. Um, and as I was doing so, you know, there's a lot of work that goes into that, um, you know, starting something new. But I remember sitting on the couch and watching TV and watching the news and hearing that they may not let the children go to school the next day. So it was really at the start of it. Um, and I thought, well, this is, it's kind of the perfect time almost. Um, I have all of this time to invest in building a brand, um, talking to my ex-clients um, and, and building a strategy. You know, and everything that goes along with a, a company, a website, a logo. Um, so I don't think it would have made a difference had I been in, you know, one company or the other. The outcome was still the same. The business was going to change and it wasn't going to be there the way it was several months before. Yeah, because there are a ton of layoffs in the following few months and people were very nervous about having conversations about anything. I mean, you know, there were no jobs to be had at that particular moment in time. Right. And so it must have been quite a scary time for you as well. There was just a lot of unknown. You know, when is it when is it going to change? Um, is there a better industry for me to staff in um, something that makes more sense than what I'm doing now? And I was willing to be um, very flexible with that. You know, I threw around a couple of ideas. Um, would it make sense to get into healthcare, into nursing staffing? Um, just do something you know a little bit different. Yeah. Nursing took off. Yeah, Big you just time. have to be resilient and um, figure out what's going to work best at the time. But fortunately, things turned around in July of 2020. Yeah, that's early. I th I've heard a lot of people say, you know, it took the rest of the year for them to see that sort of turnaround and, and some into the following year as well, 2021. Um, but, but now we found ourselves in, you know, a bit of a soft economy here as well. What, what are you seeing happening right now in the market for, for agency recruiters and leaders? Well, what I've seen is that, you know, a lot of um, recruiters that made the change from agency recruitment to corporate recruitment, you know, internally um, this past year, I think may have some regrets about doing that. And um, it's always been one of those things. That do I do I go in-house? I'm an agency. It's very fast paced. Um, everything is driven by metrics and numbers. And I'll, I'll talk candidates through that. If there's been a lot of success on their end as a recruiter, um, why is it you would want to go to corporate? Because you do realize it's going to be a completely different environment. And it made sense to them at the time. So I think a lot of my clients on the agency side lost really great recruiters because there were these uh, corporations that were feeding them with fantastic offers to come on um, contract to direct hire. And even though I would explain, 
just because it's contract to direct hire doesn't mean that you don't have to interview against every other contractor out there when it comes down to one job. And that's what happened. And now we see all these companies doing major layoffs, uh, especially over the last few weeks. And, um, you know, what do I do now? Do I go back into agency? Um, so, yeah, I think there's been a lot of change in that way for recruitment. Yeah. And I've seen a lot of really good agency recruiters switch over to in-house roles and in-house leadership roles ultimately as well and be very happy there. And I, I think it's a legitimate move these days sure. for, for a variety of reasons. I think some people just would rather represent, you know, one single brand right. as opposed to other of us who may prefer, you know, represent multiple brands. It's a very different feeling. It's a feeling of belonging, I would imagine, as opposed to a feeling of, as I say, representing multiple brands. But I guess we're in a situation now where there may be some opportunities, you know, for people who've been laid off to get back into agency. Is that going to happen? So, you know, the tides have changed. Um, at the beginning of the year, I would have said, yes, we've got these great recruiters that are um, spent, you know, a short amount of time in corporate. Now they want to get back into agency. I had too many IT recruitment opportunities available, more than I could, my team could handle. Every company that every client that called said, I need, you know, this amount of um, IT recruiters now. They can sit anywhere. They can, they, it's a remote role. We pay this amount. Um, then everybody staffed up. And you had those people that left agency and did go to corporate, which is a fine decision. Um, but now I think because I'm not, we're, I'm not seeing that opportunity out there anymore for recruiters like it was at the very beginning of the year. What I see at the end of the year, typically in this last quarter, is a need for leaders, um, directors, uh, managers, executive folks. Um, that's what I get the most of at the end of this year. So I'm not seeing a lot of recruitment opportunities in the agency world the way that I did at the beginning of, uh, of the year. Not so many producer positions like straight uh, BDs or recruiters. Correct. Opportunities. Yeah. Because yeah, there's the ebbs okay. and flows, you know, all of a sudden everybody needs a recruiter and then everybody needs a business yeah. development person and um, now everybody needs a leader. So it, yeah, it just, it changes. Mm, that's interesting. And I mean, look, we are in a bit of an ebb right now and I think everybody knows that. And mm -hmm. I think obviously we've got, you know, Christmas is coming and that sort of slows everything down as well. And it slows down candidates as well from sort of thinking about their next opportunity. I think a lot of people might just take a, take a month or two just to think about this. So, that's you know, right. hopefully, um, with a bit of luck and a fair wind, things will start picking up in the first quarter of next year again. And, uh, you know, people will get back to work. Absolutely. Um, and it typically does. January is usually yeah. easy for us. Indeed. Indeed. Um, let's talk a bit about your candidate sort of mindset and methodology. I personally believe that the biggest missed opportunity for recruiters is the way you treat people who, who you speak to who don't end up getting the job that you put them up for. How do you feel about this? And what's your sort of long-term mindset when it comes to engaging with candidates? You know, it's, um, it can be tough because I do speak to, you know, um, a handful of individuals on a weekly basis. And I might think all of them are fantastic. I might think that they're all great people. They all um, could add value somewhere. Um, sometimes I have that position for them. Sometimes I don't. Um, but keeping in in touch with that individual that can be that can get difficult for one person because I'm I'm pretty much the one person on the team that deals with all the the conversations you know on both the candidate side and the um, 
and the client side. So, um, but you have a team of recruiters, right? I do have a team of recruiters, but they're more sourcers than anything else. So, um, even though they're experienced in talking on the phones with, uh, with candidates, I have found that some, um, some of my recruiters don't have the time to do that. You know, they are um, still, they're moms and they have only so much time during the day to do some of the sourcing um, while the kids are at school. It's difficult. It's difficult keeping in touch with people, but ultimately I think that it's worth it if you can figure out a methodology, especially if you can figure out like a one-to-many methodology mm-hmm. whereby, you know, for example, you know, you're connected with them on LinkedIn. There's nothing, nothing stopping you from, you know, creating and publishing content on a weekly basis just to sort of keep top of mind with them. Sure. There are opportunities like newsletters. A lot of people have started their own newsletter now, which is a great way of keeping in touch with candidates. And also I hear a lot about, and in fact, I'm supposed to be having a conversation soon um, with candidate engagement and re-engagement software, companies like Sense. Have you heard of those guys? I have not heard of Sense. Yeah. You attach it to your database and and it's a way of you uh, creating a methodology whereby you can then sort of keep in touch with people on a regular basis. True. Um, I. And, um, and I, I do get that. Um, I think because of the, um, maybe the smaller mentality that I have, um, and, and, you know, just being a, a smaller firm, um, I don't want, I don't want individuals to receive templates, um, things that they can tell you. are just generated through, you know, AI or a system that is, is sending this out to everybody. Um, and you can only do so much. And I, you know, the first thing that I do after having a conversation with the candidate is I ask for their email and ask that I can, you know, send them my information so that we can keep in touch, whether I have something or not. You know, if I do, I'll attach it. I'll send the links. Um, if I don't, I'll say, you know, I'd love to just keep in touch. Let's network because you never know when things are going to change. Um, if your situation changes, please feel free to reach back out to me. And I'm also here if you just want to have a conversation about, hey, I have an offer from another company, not one that I'm representing, but I would like your your coaching experience. I would like to I would like to hear what you, you know, how you feel about this. And I'm I'm open to doing those types of calls, knowing that it's not going to generate any revenue on this end. Yeah. Absolutely. I think we're in the business of helping candidates. That's right. And and those opportunities are um when they come, are great ways of building non-transactional relationships in the business. And in fact, I think that some of the most rewarding relationships I've built aren't necessarily with the people I've placed, but you know, people who I've built a good relationship with and I've helped and who've ultimately referred me and introduced me to clients and candidates. And I think that's one of the most important part of you know, engaging with candidates in the first place is to look long-term about how you can help each other and not just you know, how I can place this person in the short term. Right, right. And I, I had one of those uh, situations just come up recently where I, I did obtain a new client because the recruiting director had spoken to me like six years ago and um, they weren't getting the help that they needed. So she said, well, I, I remember talking to Anne-Marie um, years ago and, you know, had her um, her leader reach out to me and now it, it's been fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, that's excellent. You know, when it comes to headhunting agency recruiters, and I know you just mentioned that this isn't you know a prime market right now for for switching agencies as a producer, but because of the nature of compensation in the agency business, um, and as I mentioned, I've I've got a bit of rec to rec experience myself. I think it can be very hard to extricate high producers because 
you know, the old golden handcuff syndrome. They're making such good money at their current employer. It, it would be very hard and, and probably not even a, a viable thing to do to try and match that. So is that a problem that you come up against when you're trying to headhunt agency recruiters? Definitely. Um, that can always be an obstacle. Um, I will always lead off a conversation after I've gotten to know that person a little bit and, and learned a bit about them, you know, personally and professionally. I will um, I let them know that, hey, I'm here to help coach you through your career and any change you might want to make. Um, what I will not do is I will not mess with your livelihood. Um, if, if you can share with me, which is like this jaded question these days, it wasn't a couple of years ago. If you could share with me your compensation, um, I, you know, I can keep that between you and I, but it would at least help me understand where you're at and whether or not you really actually need to make a change. Um, because you've been with this company for six, seven, eight years, and you know, you've got this many people on billing, you must be doing pretty well. Um, yeah. Or you're making this many placements. Yeah, it's a common problem I see in that business. Yep. So I think you have to really, you have to kind of whittle down to what is your compensation? Share that with me. And then I will let you know if I think the grass is greener or it's not greener on the other side. But I'll, I'll be the first person to be honest and say, hey, you're making a half a million dollars, you know, yeah. as an IT recruiter, stay where you're at. Yeah. No, I totally agree. <laughs> if you're making half a million dollars, that's fantastic. Um, <laughs> so, Amory, what are some of the most common objections or responses that you do get when you're reaching out to agency recruiters or leaders for the first time? Are they happy to hear from you for the most part? I mean, recruiters have a very open mind because we encourage our candidates to have an open mind. So do you get very high response rates? So... Um my recruiters are responsible. My sources are responsible for actually getting folks interested and in, on the phone. Um, I have one senior recruiter that has been with me for years and years. Um, she might even have more experience uh, in, in staffing than, um, than I do. She is a phenomenal recruiter that people respond to. And I'm not sure exactly what her secret sauce is, but what I have heard from candidates that I actually get on the phone with is that it was her presentation in her uh, approach in the template. It wasn't a template. It was very personalized. Um, she gave me just enough information to be intrigued. And I then wanted to get on the phone with you. So she'll always say, if you're interested, I can get you on the phone with my director. But again, she doesn't want to share a secret sauce, and that's okay. She's my top producer, yeah. <laughs> for sure. Um, that's the golden ticket these days. I mean, I've shifted my focus a little bit. I used to say, look, the rubber really meets the road in this business when you get on the phone with a candidate for the first time. But I've shifted my focus a little bit from that because really, we're in the business of earning the right to have those conversations. And putting a message together that's effective enough and impactful enough to resonate, you know, in this very noisy world that we live in today, I think is, is an equally difficult skill to acquire and to execute on than, you know, ultimately getting on the phone. I mean, once you get on the phone, it really is, you know, it's you and it's the candidate and, and you're going to be evaluated on, on that real engagement. But if you can't get there, if you can't earn the right to having that opportunity to have that conversation, then you're, you're in big trouble in this business right now, aren't you? Yep, absolutely. And so we do um, kind of calculate, you know, the amount of calls that she can put on my calendar um, on a weekly basis. But, you know, from 
from that time that she gets them on um, on my calendar and scheduled, I will always tell her, get them on the phone with me. I will, I'll, then I will take it from there and I'll do my job and I'll sell it. So it's about, I have one opportunity. They have given me 30, 45 minutes, an hour of their time that they've dedicated on their calendars. I better make this conversation great. And I, I better add value, you know, to even just their day, um, making them feel human and um, not robotic um, and really getting to know a person more so than just, well, let's start with, um, you know, your first job and let's go through like where you started and blah, blah, blah. I want to get to know that person over a 15 minute time period um, just to get them to open up to me. And then they're going to share everything. So yeah, it's a yeah, really absolutely. important conversation. Yeah. I love that. And I've podcasted about that one point. I've done solo podcasts on this point, which is, I think that it's worth the time that it takes to invest in that first part of the conversation where you not necessarily cross the bridge to trust a advisor, but just cross the bridge to being a human being to one mm -hmm. another. So you can, you can make room for a decent and honest conversation to flourish. But if you do like what you were saying, where you go through this sort of laundry list of questions, uh, it's very robotic. And as I've said before on the podcast, it sounds like the Spanish Inquisition and nobody wants the Spanish Inquisition. Right. So I, I think you're right. It's just, I was talking to a, a good friend of mine who's recruited the other day about this, who said to me, yeah, but Marcus, I just don't have time for that. I've got so many people I need to reach out to and so many people I need to talk to. I, I just don't have time to sort of take that 15 minute pause and to build that bridge. But I would argue as I did, you know, to that person that it is worth it, even if you end up talking to fewer people. Do you feel the same way? I, I yes, I do. Um, and so I do have a limit on calls that I'll take on a daily basis. And, and my recruiters know this. Um, I always say, don't put them on the phone with me after two o'clock because I don't have a personality at that point. I have, you know, I have had so many conversations since you know the start of the morning all the way through. And then I kind of do my operational work um, after that, my submittals, et cetera. But I am genuinely interested in in speaking to people. if. And with this one senior recruiter, if she puts them on my calendar, I trust that this person is a fit for something that I have. Um, yeah. And the sooner I can make that connection with somebody, you know, because you do have the people that are guarded in the very beginning. You know, why am I calling you? Why am I talking to you? What is it? And you can break that down so quickly in the very beginning by just saying, hey, so you're in D.C. Did you grow up in D.C.? Did you, oh, wait, for, uh, let's talk about your school. Oh, it looks like you were a, um, you played, you know, um, collegiate football. Um, what position did you play? And then it just opens up a whole, and I had one of these really great conversations yesterday that was just that. I think him and I spoke just about, you know, 20 minutes and really shared some ideas. And at the end of that, he said, Anne-Marie, I feel like for my job search right now, you're all I have. You really want to, you know, help support me in this, but I, I have to make a change. And that is so important to me that that person feels they can lean on me. Yeah, that's nice. And I, I thoroughly agree with that. I mean, it is about, it's about like making space for that conversation to happen and showing and not going through a process so much as treating it the same way as you would when you're building a relationship outside of work. I mean, showing genuine interest and focusing on the stuff that obviously, you know, resonates with both parties um, and, and building that rapport, because once you've built rapport, everything tends to flow a lot easier. 
because that person trusts you and they can see that you're not just going to be trying to sell to them. And of course, if you're doing your job right as a recruiter, um, you know, you're not putting the role before the relationship. You're understanding, as I said on the podcast a million times, their situation, aspirations, motivations, and skills. And then you're reconciling the opportunity that, to, to them in a way that makes sense to them, to, you know, to, to meet those needs, right? Right. Absolutely. Um, you know, you can learn so much about somebody without ever asking them about, you know, why did, why did you leave this company? And then why did you leave there? Um, what I see is you, you've got great tenure and your numbers look really great. Um, how did you get there? You know, um, again, it, it's having, um, it's asking the questions about what, what drives you. Um, you were a college athlete. What happened there? Did you, um, what were, what was the intent and how did you end up in staff? Because there's so many things that you can learn about somebody and what their um, ability is to be collaborative with the team, um, what their compete level is, without actually having to run through, tell me the, you know, tell me your numbers. Yeah, I like that approach as well. I mean, obviously, stats and numbers are important, and you're going to need to present those, even when you're presenting recruiters. But, but I do think there's there's a lot of space to be able to understand and get behind a great recruiter or a great leader by really truly understanding their mindset. And, you know, when I'm doing rec to rec and when I've placed recruiters and recruiting leaders, you know, my presentation to my client is as much about, you know, my subjective evaluation of, of them and their tenacity and their, Mm -hmm. their courage and their presentation um, and their whole sort of like social skill set. I think it's so important as a recruiter and a recruiting leader to have that in your armory as, as much as it is to sort of, you know, have the numbers to back it up. Right. Right. And, you know, uh, you know, for being honest, I mean, sometimes you enter into a new company. I always tell people you can have a blurb on your resume. It's okay. You were there for four years. You were there for three years. You're there for six months and now you want to leave. That doesn't mean that, you know, you're, you're bad at your job. It just means maybe you made the wrong decision. Uh, maybe you were sold something that seemed like greater than it was, um, but you have but the experience that you have, you know, have shown and the success that you've shown um, tells me that you'd be a great person for this company. Yeah. So let's, yeah, l- let me pull out everything else that I think is fantastic about them and how they'll add value to a company. I think staffing agents, they, companies, they have to see through just the metrics and the KPIs. They have to look at who is going to be very loyal, stick with this, you know, who wants to compete and who has um, the desire to have a long-term home. Yeah. I mean, I think you do need a resume that shows like an anchor or two to show that you can you do. do the time. But I think it's wrong to assume that if someone leaves a job after six months or seven months or three months that they've failed because I think it's equally likely that the company who hired them failed them in the way that they, you know, onboarded them, the way that they trained them, the way that they set expectations and the way that they managed them. And I've always been of the belief, and this, this might be a little esoteric, but I think you keep looking until you find an employer, you know, who gives you what you need as much as you being able to give them what they need, you know, a culture that resonates people who treat each other really well um, you know, inspire, develop, empower, appreciate. I mean, that, that's the kind of culture I think everybody deserves 
right. and that they should look for as well. And I, I think this whole, like measuring people, I'm not going to talk to someone who's got, you know, tenure issues. I think that's short-sighted. I think in some ways, those people, the people who do have, you know, a spotty resume and short tenure, they're the seekers and, and they, they're the opportunity employees. They're people who are being overlooked sometimes and, and they could be your greatest asset in the future if you give them a chance and invite them to the table. Yeah. Yes, definitely. And I think you're right. Um, those types of resumes are overlooked, um, especially when they're going through a portal. They're going through, you know, um, submittal online. Um, somebody, an internal recruiter sees this and it just doesn't check all the boxes and boom, it's gone. So um, they don't get a fair shake. They don't get a fair shake. And I call that defensive hiring because I think sometimes hiring managers think, well, I'm not going to stick my neck out for this person in case it doesn't work out because then people are going to say, well, why would you hire somebody who had such spotty tenure? So it's kind of like a, a self-fulfilling prophecy almost. Yep. And I think that's unfortunate because I think those are often the people you should take a risk on because it's up to you to make the opportunity, you know, right. resonate with them and create an environment that they want to be loyal to. Right. So, but not everybody sees it that way. Um, no, they just need fair representation. And sometimes that's the, the, the it's probably one of the, the greatest reasons why you should go out and find a recruiter that staffs in your industry. You know, it's, um, you don't want to buy a house without a real estate agent. So, you know, it, it's not going to cost you anything, but find somebody who really will stand behind you and can make that introduction to the high level um, decision makers. And if I present you to that decision maker who has a lot of trust in me, they'll say, okay, well, Emory, if you truly believe in this person, I'll have a phone conversation. And they're not going to get that by just putting their you know, resume into a black hole. I agree with that. And I agree with what you're saying about having a recruiter relationship. It's like having a broker. You don't always want to make investments every day, but occasionally you do. And I think that having a great recruiter or somebody who can represent you in your vertical, in your industry someone who you can trust and someone who, you know, you can keep in touch with and say what's going on out there, especially in times like these when you just don't quite know what's around the corner. Because everybody, you know, who is employed is, you know, potentially only one phone call or email away from needing to look for their next opportunity, right? That's right. Um, let's get back to what you were saying about your recruiter tailoring messages. And, and we did sort of agree that that has become a very important part of the process. What kind of personalization do you get behind? What kind of personalization are you doing in order to generate the response that you're looking for? Well, I think it all comes down to to her. Um, and again, again, about her not sharing her special sauce, I'll say, well, what kind of template did you send that person? Because you send something that really intrigued them. And what does that look like? Um, and I will have people just come out and tell me, listen, I don't have these phone calls all the time. Um, I get dozens of um, recruiters reaching out to me, but I want to let you know that the way Jen approached me was, was different than anybody else. And I think it's based on her personalizing to actually look at a profile, look at their experience. How does it relate to what it is we're looking for and why they would be a good fit and why this would be um, a step up for them? You know, I'll get messages from recruiters that will say, hey, I'm, you know, looking for an IT recruiter and I came across your profile. Well, then you haven't read my profile. Right. You haven't even looked at it. And that, I think, can be frustrating. And it's why people don't respond and they just click the decline. 
um, when you have something that stand out ish and saying, I really love your experience, you know, with the West source, um, looks like you've done this and that. Then somebody feels like, wow, she took the time to actually really read through my, my profile and understands it and sees where there could be a fit. Right. I completely agree with that. I think you've just hit the nail on the head. It's, it's how that message makes that person feel. Okay. If that message makes that person feel like, oh, here's another message that's gone out to a hundred people, 300 people. I don't know, but I don't respond to those messages. I do respond to messages like the one you just sort of talked about when somebody says, Hey, Marcus, I listened to last week's episode of recruiting trailblazers. I'd love to catch up with you sometime or talk to you about what I'm doing. I need some advice, whatever it is. And, and I think it's how you make people feel. And I actually think that there's a huge opportunity even today to massively differentiate yourself as a recruiter by taking the time to personalize your outreach and just be relevant. Like you were saying, be absolutely relevant. Why is it that, that the opportunity that you're using to sort of start this conversation might reconcile accurately with the candidate that you're reaching out to? And if you can prove to people, even if you're sort of doing scalable personalization, which we talked about last week, um, but if you're keeping it relevant and making that person feel like you're writing directly to them right. or potentially to people who are very, very similar to them, right. then you massively improve your chances of getting a response, don't you? Oh, I, absolutely. Um, I think that's what she's, she's probably greatest at. Um, you, have to, you have to make a connection with somebody, even if it's just through that email or that, um, that LinkedIn message. If you don't make an immediate connection with them and let them know that you are truly looking at them as a person, that you can lose it in a second. And it would, I think, so that's where I get a little crazy on, you know, agencies doing all these crazy like KPIs um, and having numbers. Yes. Is it a numbers game? Absolutely it is. But don't we want the best numbers going towards the people that we really truly feel we will respond because we feel that they're an actually, you know, an actual fit. Right, exactly. I mean, look, it is a numbers game, but there's a level of quality below which if you go, those numbers won't add up to anything. You can send out hundreds or thousands of messages, but if you send out like really, really poor quality, templated stuff that lands in the wrong inbox and just basically pisses people off, you're not going to get any response at all. I, I think right now, more than ever, especially in this economy that we're in today in 2022, November, I think that you need to take that extra bit of time and to figure out what is going to stand out in that person's inbox. And also you've got to figure out other ways other than just reaching out on LinkedIn recruiter because LinkedIn recruiters, you know, those messages can hide in your LinkedIn sort of screen. And quite often I don't find them till like a week later. Um, But, but also you know, when you get an in-mail, you know you're basically about to be sold to. And a lot of people just don't want to be sold to these days. So I think right. you've got to find other ways as well. Do you, by the way, use any other tools outside of LinkedIn Recruiter to reach out to people like, you know, email sequencing software or do you have like a really cool ATS or something? Yeah, LinkedIn Recruiter has just been our, our go-to. Um, and the reason is because the industry that we're in, um, if you're- Everybody in- lives there. You're there. So it's different if you're in, um, you know, staffing nursing and uh, health. You might not find people on LinkedIn. 
staffers are on LinkedIn Recruiter. If you're not, then I don't know how involved you really are with your job, but um, it is really the go-to. Um, I've been looking at other things uh, recently. Um, like? A couple of other like, systems. We just actually looked at uh, one that um, like a very more of an AI-based um, which my coach had said was maybe a good idea to do um, that could generate things, you know, um, on a weekly, monthly basis. Generate um, what? Generate candidates? Uh, that it could also provide you information that you might not be able to get from LinkedIn. So it could give you, um, let's call it like Zoom info, for instance. Um, right. If you can't get a phone number on LinkedIn, most likely you can get it through Zoom info. And there's a lot of these tools out there now. There's a lot of tools that help you find emails, that help you find phone numbers. Um, and, and I think in your industry, I think you can cold call recruiters because, you know, that's that's not politically incorrect in this business. Um, I think it's got a lot harder to call like software developers and other people these days um, yeah. because nobody wants to be sold to. But uh, yeah, I mean, there are a lot of tools out there and you've just got to pick your battles, haven't you? I know a lot of in-house recruiters and some agency recruiters I know have adopted GEM, which not only is sequencing software and recruiting analytics, but it also, I think, it has some functionality to allow you to find the email addresses, etc. And so mm -hmm. you can build these big sort of like sequencing campaigns. And I think that's become a lot more common these days for, for companies to do that because you reach out one time by LinkedIn recruiter if you don't get a response, you, you're dead in the water, right? Yeah. Seek out. That's another one that we were um, yeah. were testing. Yeah. Um, just because some others were a bit more expensive. So we were looking at ones like that, um, which I think they can add value in, in, in a lot of ways. But um, the end of the day, LinkedIn Recruiter really for my specific niche is that's the place to go. It's a great tool. It's an expensive tool, but it is a great tool. Very expensive tool. Hey. Um, Let's finish up on something fun here because we had in our, in our pre-interview as well, you've mentioned a couple of things that drive you bananas. Let's finish on those just for a bit of fun. You, first of all, candidate references, yeah? What drives you bananas about candidate references? Well, let's all be honest. Are we going to give away a reference name without that person being someone very special to us or somebody that is absolutely going to give us or show us in the best light ever? Nobody's going to give a name of somebody that's not going to say anything great about them. So that's true. I'm just calling for confirmation that you really liked this person, you know? Um, and yes, can they give you description and details of what they did? Yes. But I think we should have learned that through the interview process, what that person did. And um, I know my husband always laughed about at the bottom of a, a resume where it would say references available upon request. And I always take that out. Now he mentioned it one day. Um, of course they will be, you know, it just you don't have to put it on your resume. And, and also candidate references when they're asked to be completed prior to the client making a decision, right? Right. If you take that candidate through the process and you have enough conversation with them, um, we all have to take chances. We all have skin in the game. You've learned what you've learned about that person. They've learned what they've learned about the company and the organization. We're all, so we're kind of making it, needing to make a decision together, you know, and you can go back. Are you going to, are you going to ask 10 years about, you know, 10 years ago when I left this company um, for whatever reason, or can we just agree that we've all had fantastic conversation? We, we all know what we're looking for and what the experience is. 
does it really need to you know go that far? Right. No, I agree with you. I think you've got to do your due diligence and during the interview process and trust your team. I remember saying to a client once, why are you going to take the opinion of a complete stranger over the opinion of your team? Your team wants to hire this person. You've got one slightly dodgy uh, reference from somebody who this person worked with many years ago. I mean, look, people leave companies for a reason. There's often, you know, fallings out, etc. But who's to say who's right and who's wrong? And so, I mean, you know, you have to be careful with references. I mean, there's, there's still an important part because you can build a picture when you get enough of them. But if, um, you're, on, if you're on the, you know, on the cusp of mm, not really sure, but yeah. I think staffers, it, the, the, the best staffers have gut instincts that tell them when something's not right. And if, or if there's something that's not true, like believable, um, it was, a lot of times we just have to go with that gut as well. Um, if there's more than one person that feels this might be strange, then let's walk away. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, what have you got to say to agency recruiters or perhaps even in-house recruiters who might want to get in touch with you and talk about opportunities that are available right now? You know, just look me up on, um, look me up on LinkedIn. I will accept your invite at any time and you can just message me directly. Excellent stuff. I highly recommend you guys reaching out to Amory. Uh, she is connected to and speaks to some very influential people in the business. I know that for a fact. So thank you for coming on the podcast this week, Anne-Marie. I really enjoyed getting to know you again over the last couple of weeks. Let's stay in touch and we'll speak again soon. Absolutely. Thank you, Marcus, for the opportunity. Cheers. 